Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Salas, and with me is my very, very talented friend who, like a flower, brings color to my life as well as the show. <laughs> <laughs> the mixtures, <mixed> DC Gina. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that, right? I love it. So there you cute. Go. There you go. It's kind of soft. I, I feel like a cherry blossom. There you go. The well, best. it's perfect because, you know, spring has sprung. Yes, here in DC. Yes, yes and I know yes. this because my eyes are itchy. The flowers are a blooming. <laughs> they are. Which has gotten me to um, think about all those Beautiful little buds. And what do they symbolize? <laughs> Deep thought with the leaves, huh? Oh, there we go. <laughs> I'm ready. So, so, you know, for much of history and in almost all culture, flowers have been used for symbols. We all know the red rose. Of course, that is a symbol that confesses one's love. But if you get that yellow rose, you have been friend-zoned, and it's not so romantic, right? <laughs> right, okay. So, um, and we also know that white lilies, oh, there's a few, a little bit, but we all know it's associated with purity, right? And often a bride, a blushing bride, goes down the aisle with a handful of those, mm -hmm. which I did, actually, but mine were pink, so I don't know okay. what that means. But I do know what the pink carnations mean, because I did a little research. It means I'll never forget you. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I just thought it was a cheap flower. <laughs> I, <did>. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it'd be cheap. And here's a really crazy one. This one made, I was like, what the? A flowering cactus symbolizes sexual attraction. Really? Uh, uh, yeah, according to my research anyway, um, the internets. <laughs> George O'Keefe, anyway, she's pretty good at painting those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's sexuality, uh, you know, to each his own, to each his own. Um, and then a blue tulip, it represents trust and loyalty. Have I even seen a blue tulip? Well, you have seen today's designated drinker, and that's what brings me to that blue tulip, because she has proven herself to be loyal, trustworthy, and dedicated to serving her community. Please welcome to the show, Democratic Congressional Candidate for Virginia's 8th, Victoria Virasing. Perfect. Yes. Yay. <laughs> Nailed it. That was a beautiful introduction. Yeah. I should take you around with me when I give speeches <laughs> and you do the intro. That would be great. We have to get liquored up first, though. Absolutely. Well, not too much, because when it's too much, we know. <laughs> it shows. <laughs> so tell us, Victoria, what drew you into politics? Oh, man. You know, I didn't anticipate doing this. I My story is a story of both struggle and success. I was born right here in Virginia's 8th district, North Arling in Arlington, mm -hmm. in Northern Virginia. Yeah. My parents are both immigrants. My mom is from Ecuador in South America. My father was born to Punjabi Sikh refugees in Bangkok, Thailand. Wow. They came here. They met in Northern Virginia. Oh, crazy. So it's That's America. Amazing. So apparently her dad got a red rose and not the yellow. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, actually, roses in Ecuador, we do a lot of exportation. There's a lot of rose exportation from Ecuador. And Indian culture, there's a lot of colors. Yes. And we use a lot of flowers and for a number of different events. So I love yeah. that connection as well. And... My parents did not go to college. They worked minimum wage jobs. My mom's a manicurist. My dad at one point worked retail. He's 
had a number of different jobs, we struggled. I mean, at times we didn't have a housing of our own. We stayed with friends. We went out just a number of different housing situations. When my mom was pregnant with me, she was sleeping on a bunk bed in a room that she shared with three other people. Wow. She was giving a pedicure the moment that her water broke. Oh my goodness. And she stood up, excused herself from the client, called herself a taxi, and went to Virginia Hospital Center to deliver me. Wow. A taxi. Holy That's cow. That's kind of amazing. That honestly. is amazing. That is amazing. Women are pretty incredible. They are. Absolutely. You're not going to get an argument from Gina and I on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with your mother. I, I, co- I was cooking on the line the week the, wow. three days before I gave birth to my first daughter. So that's incredible. That really is, right? Like, yeah. I give it to her. You know, and I, you know, I think my story is the story of the American dream. You know, I was first in my family to go to college, and I was possible through a full-ride scholarship to go to Stanford. Wow. wow. I got my master's degree, my bachelor's degree. I started working. I went to the private sector. I made money. I was able to help my parents out. I was able to build financial security for myself. And deciding to run was realizing that we don't have a structure that supports working class and middle class families. My mom made five fifty an hour in the eighties. That's crazy. But the minimum yeah. wage in Virginia was the federal minimum wage at the beginning of twenty twenty one, and that was seven twenty five. Wow. It's it's changed now. I know it has. It's going up uh, now. So there's uh, there's a, a series of them. But the question yeah. is. When I look at the standard of living in this area, I mean, you need at least two minimum wage jobs just to make it. Oh, just two. What about housing? You know, healthcare. So many of the structures, I believe, do not support our families, our people, and that's why I'm running. I believe in an economy that is fair and that is just. I believe in racial justice. I believe in economic justice and housing justice, healthcare justice, and the way that we do that is we put up people who understand what it's like to struggle, but are also willing to stand up and to stand out, start talking about these issues and creating policies that lift up all communities. Because when we do that, we create thriving businesses, we support working families, we create welcoming neighborhoods. We have a chance to all rise up together. And that's why I'm doing this. And it's amazing. I do, I applaud that. I applaud that. It's a huge cause. I mean, talking about blending down the, um, like, you know, almost like like, uh, this fake, um, talking about economic situation, but really what they're creating with all of the different wages and stuff and how it's not across the U.S. and it's state by state, it's creating classes of people, even though it's not a class system. And you're you're putting like the work, you know, everyone puts the working class and lower middle class or, or, or above poverty line, poverty line. And there's like all these different, but really what you're doing is just, you're stifling, you know, growth of, of, you know, well, of, the country. Of, of the of country. Well, it's not everywhere. It's not, it's, sorry. It is everywhere and it's not everywhere. No, some I, t- states, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Some states do it to control a state. Some states are very conservative when it comes to wage increases. Please stop me if you think I am wrong. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, keep it's, going. It's kind of terrible because we live in a place where D.C. finally broke that and it was really great to see that. Um, and I've never paid, and I have an employer and I have... Um, 40 employees underneath me, and I have never, ever paid minimum wage for anything. And they make they make a living wage with everything, like between tips or working for me or whatever, and they will tell you, right? But that is a decision as a human and an employer that I make, you know, to make sure that they're good. 
And thank you. You know, I mean, my cousin's a small business owner. She's been a small business owner for more than 25 years here in Northern Virginia. She owns a hair and nail salon. She was getting kicked out by developers. I mean, she's holding on by by a thread. And I feel like we have an economy that's becoming consolidated. That's it. That's exactly why I'm so happy that you're doing what you're doing. Because you have the developers coming in to small businesses that are trying to do the right thing. And they're like, oh... Oh, last year you paid $35 a square foot. This year you're going to pay $75. So you want to double my occupancy and you want me to employees, people, pay the new rise in employment taxes and everything they put on there. And um, COVID just happened. And now we have inflation, inflation and employment taxes as well. And then you're like, oh, who's going to pay for COVID? Oh, I know who's going to pay for COVID. All of the small businesses are going to pay for COVID. That's so right. That's I right. I hear you. I'm all about small business support. I mean, I talk to small business owners. You know, there are more than 180,000 restaurant revitalization fund applications that remain unfunded. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I do. She <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. That is crazy. And we have a huge proportion of restaurant, you know, owners and cafe owners and people in the restaurant industry. We really that I think that support structure needs to continue. You know, I'm all about supporting, you know, our hardworking small business owners. We can do it through policies. We can do it. It just takes courage to yeah. come out and to do, and to, it's, you know what it is? It's priorities. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's what is a priority, not, you know, for your constituents, for your voters, and are you representing the priorities of the people you are seeking to represent? You said something earlier that really caught my ear, and it was um, not having the fear of standing up. And, and being seen and speaking out. It's such a hard thing to do for, not even from, um, absolutely from a, from a point of uh, have less or not as much as others, but from a minority standpoint too, because especially in certain cultures, you're taught not to do that. You are taught the opposite. Um, and especially with past American history, often the immigrant deliberately keeps their head down. Um, I applaud you for having that. That's that you said bravery. It does take bravery. It takes audacity. It, it, it takes a lot. And, and that's, I think the other thing, the beautiful part of that is that you are now setting the standard for others. You're, you're breaking some glass ceilings. And, and at the end of all things, you are showing that, that little girl um, that she could be you. Thank you. I think you touch on a really important point. You know, growing up in a working class immigrant family, you know, you're not taught to do this. You know, you're taught, you just got to put your, there's a word in Spanish. It's agachar el lomo. It's like, put your back into it. And it comes from, you know, my mom was born on a farm in Ecuador. And so, you know, you literally put your back into it. So when she came here, you know, you work hard, you put your head down. I was, you know, we experienced uh, different overt and and subtle forms of racism and prejudice. And I was always taught you just swallow it. You know, you don't confront, you just, you you don't, you want to do well, but you don't want to be seen as a target because people will try and take you down. And I, you know, followed that mentality. I mean, I hit the books. I studied as hard as I could. I got the scholarship. I mean, I had mentors along the way that really helped me see that there was a world bigger than the one that I was living in. And I'm so grateful for that. And when I decided, you know, I I had this job, I was making money, you know, I was living very comfortably. I was taking care of my parents. And I remember I I told my parents, you know, I think I'm going to do this. And they were like, why? They were like, why? You you did it. You know, you you achieved what we always hope. You are our American dream. Yeah. And why are you risking this, you know, to do this? And I said, but if we don't do it, 
who will. Yep. If we don't stand up and talk about these experiences in a way that we can learn, in a way that we can create better opportunities in the future, what what are we doing if it's not to create more opportunities for those who come behind us? I believe I stand on the on the shoulders of so many women in politics, women leaders, uh, who have created a, a, a bigger path for me to do this. Yeah. And I feel like it's my responsibility to widen the path, you know, yeah. win or lose, to create more opportunities, to show that it is possible. And that's when the American dream really works. Yeah. Because it's this belief that it doesn't matter where you come from, that you can achieve whatever your pursuit of happiness is. The problem is that the American dream is becoming harder and harder for us to reach. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to talk about it, to share these experiences. And I believe, you know, we are, we're, I am inspired by women, you know, like you who have created this. I'm, I'm inspired every day by everyday people. And that's what politics should be. Like an actual voice for the people? Oh, yeah, that would be great. What a novel idea. I mean, I mean that little piece of paper that everyone's supposed to be following, they, they seem to forget, like, what that means. So um, where did you where did this yeah. me to we moment come for you? When did this happen for you? During the pandemic, I was working with a lot of families uh, at a school in South Arlington, and I started talking to folks, you know, folk, you, people like you and me, and I realized that everybody has their fight. There's a word in Spanish that I often use. It's called lucha. And it's this word that there's not a direct translation to English, but it means to overcome the odds that are stacked against you. It's like you're hustling, you're, 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 it's a grit. And everybody I talked to had that, you know, it was someone wanting to start their small business. It was, you know, this nine-year-old kid wanting to make it onto the, on the team. You know, it was Maria and Jose who were working for three jobs to just put food on the table. It's, you know, families who have to choose between cancer treatment for their son or putting food on the table. I mean, these are the decisions people make every day. And I just, you know, I realized that every, every person, every family has their lucha. And lucha, I like that. Yes. Put that in my repertoire. Yes. Lucha. I'm writing it down. Yes. And it's easy <laughs> to say. And we was on a people. And I, and then I realized that if I was born today in this area, under the conditions that I grew up in, there's no way my story would be possible. We, w- we wouldn't be able to, to make it here. And I had this experience in the pandemic. I was working with a family and their kid had missed school for a few months and we were trying to figure out why. So when we realized that the family had lost their source of income, they couldn't pay for internet and it was virtual school. So we worked with, with the county. We got them this internet packaging. I'm on the phone I'm on Comcast for like two and a half hours. But I did it, you know, because I knew what that was like because my dad had lost his job and we couldn't afford a lot of things, but I was able to go to the library. Yeah. There was a pandemic and they had no other option. And that's when I realized, you know, I saw myself in a lot of these families. I saw my own lived experience reflected and I felt like we need representation. We ha- we cannot approach the same problems, the same solutions. We need new ideas, Imagine new people that. who are going to stand up and stand out and call things when they see it and push the needle forward. Because if we don't do that, I worry that you know the policies that we that we make today will have a drastic impact on us for decades to come. And who's on the line? It's families. It's everyday people. It's the sons and daughters and non-binaries of our district. And that's who I want to, that's who I'm fighting for. Yeah. Just give a voice to them. 
You know, like shed some light on the situation. It's not even a fight until you're in the ring. You know, like you got to get there. Yep. Like that's important. Like you, like just to see. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, yeah. but just to see. You know, now like people that I, people that look like me. Like you know what I mean. Like people that look you know look like you. I'm saying it's that old to, to be able to be like I would almost vote. I feel like people would vote for you just because you look like them. And it's not the same, you know, the vote anymore where you have no identifiable, you can't identify with someone. You don't understand them. No, I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up there. No, I have no idea what you're talking about. And now you want me to, like, vote for you and back you? Like, you just came to my district. That's one thing I never understand is the Democrats or Democrats or Republicans show up in districts that they never lived in because they're easy to win. So they can get themselves into a Senate seat or something, right? Or, or any, anybody that's running, Democrat, Republican, whatever, independent, doesn't matter. When you're from a community and a community can fully back you, you have an opportunity to make a bigger impact. You have an opportunity to be a bigger voice. And I think that's like a lot of, and it takes a, it's a big calling. Politics is much, as much as you say, the separation of church and state is much as a calling, right? You don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a priest or a rabbi or all these things. <laughs> I don't know. Something we, we, happens maybe to you. Maybe you do. I don't know. Something happens to you. Something, right? That's the last thing you can hear. It's the last you know, it's the last you can't take anymore. You have to say something. You know, and I love that point that you made about it being community-based. You know, I was born here. I was raised here. I left, you know, to go to college. I spent some time outside of Virginia, which I think gave I me think, a perspective yeah. that's really helpful. And, you know, I, I had a lot of people tell me, you know, why, why run now? Why for Congress? You know, we've got somebody, he's good and he is good, but there's also better things that we can do. There's also a lived experience. And I think when you mentioned, we, I talked to a lot of people and they see themselves reflected in this campaign and myself. And I think it's the lived experience, right? It's the lived experience of having to navigate the economy of today. Uh, it's the lived experience of having to navigate trying to make it on minimum wage. It's that lived experience of, you know, going through education and the challenges that our, our education and immigration system faces today. And I think that is such, that's what's underrepresented in Congress. And it's not to say that if you if you don't have these lived experiences, it doesn't, you, you are obviously, we welcome allies, but it's a different type of leadership. And the reality is that when you bring diverse voices with a diverse lived experience around a table, the outcomes are always better because you're able to cover each other's blind spots. You're able to bring issues up that other people would have no idea. It's that collective that I think makes us so powerful. And I think in our district, we are 48% people of color. The, we've had 100,000 wow. people move into Northern Virginia in the past decade. So running has been, let's take a look at our district. Let's take a look at the issues that matter. Let's take a look at what we're doing to build a bridge towards the future. And, you know, let's make that so that it's possible for everyone and have a lived experience. And, you know, Ayanna Presley, she always said, you know, to your point of people move and then they, they run because it's easier. You know, she's like, you don't choose where you want. You run where you have roots. You know, you run where your community is. And that that was my decision to do this. And I understand, you know, it's a little controversial. I, you know, I understand that this is the unconventional thing to do. The conventional thing would be to wait my turn. 
the conventional thing would be to wait until I'm tapped, you know, to, that I'm okayed by the powers of be. And I said, we live in a democracy. It is a privilege to run. My parents did not live in democracies. It yeah. is a privilege to be here running for this office. I hold it with tremendous responsibility. It is important that we welcome primaries. It is important that we allow all candidates who want to run a voice at the table because of the communities that they bring along. Unfortunately, you know, in practice, it doesn't always work that way. Um, but that's why we're here. That's yeah. why we're here fighting. That's why we're here talking about these issues that matter so much to our constituents. A lot of people don't realize that you have to vote in those primaries. They're like, I want to vote in November. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's a little primary. Yeah. You know, you yes. got to get in there. You got to choose your, who's going to go against, you know, like you just don't want to keep splitting the votes. Yes. And that's so important because in our district, the primary is the election. I'm sorry for sorry. the Republicans um, out there, but we're open to talking to everybody. The district is D plus 27. So what that means is that there we, we have a huge percentage. It's around 76% voted for Biden. So it means means that in districts that are this heavy Democrat, same thing goes with Republican. If you're mm -hmm. R plus 27, you have oh, an gotcha. overwhelmingly uh, Democrat or Republican uh, voter base, which means that whoever wins that primary will have a, a high chance of winning in the general, which is why choice. So really, you know, the choice that we have is right, is right now in the Democratic primary, which we haven't had one in since 2014. Wow. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow, I live here. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like local but politics. I, is I vote all the time, and I vote. And it's funny is there's times that I have not done all. Like I'm like so busy. I gotta vote. I gotta vote. What I forget to do is do my research before I get there. I don't know how many times I've been sitting there on my phone going, "Okay, who is this person? <laughs> who is this person? Which one?" Because I know it matters. And it wasn't that uh, I you know I got half. Of, I knew half of them, and I oh, shit. I didn't know there were six. You know, or whatever it is. But I find it incredibly important. I hold it um, to your point. I find voting to be uh, a privilege, knowing it, it's a right for, uh, for us, but it's a privilege when you look worldwide. And it's so important for us to choose all of those things, okay. all of those positions, because people slide up when we don't, when we don't pay attention and they start here and you think, ah, it's just uh, uh, the school district or something smaller, something smaller that we don't think it has great impact. If they're not good there, and if no one's paying attention, they continue to move forward. And you keep moving these not the right people forward. And it doesn't always reflect, to your point, to our, our benefit, but our communities, our views, all of those things get lost. So vote, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I vote for? I vote we have a cocktail now. Okay. <gasps> okay. Yeah. Cocktail. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Let's have a, yes. I'll have a cocktail. And then, and then, I, and then we can. And then I want to. Then we have a lot left. All right, so I got inspired by um, by you and like like the idea of it being on a campaign trail, and I'm like, well, what could be really fun? Well, what's funnier and cuter than the word electric in these time and days, right? And then like I was like, oh, we'll do something called electric Kool Aid, and I'm like, well, what the hell is that? Because you could say a word and it doesn't really mean anything or have connotation. So what I decided to do is do something that's new. Um, it's Jameson Orange, and it's really quite lovely actually. It's an Irish whiskey and it's got an orange little twist to it so it's um super fun nice and breezy for the summer i do not work for them i actually enjoy it so just we're clear <laughs> so this is a, a two ounce pour of um jameson and then you're gonna do um i'm gonna do this a little bit lighter uh a half an ounce of simple syrup per cocktail so one ounce 
And then we are going to put in there um, some lemon juice. So you're gonna do one ounce per drink. So we're gonna be putting two ounces in this cocktail. So now we have all the ingredients. Now here's my here's my guilty pleasure. Wonderful. Something about, there's something about <laughs> just gross fruit punch from the grocery store in very small amounts for this bizarre flavor. And I grew up in New York, you know, I grew up in New York and, you know, there's just something about it, right? <laughs> so anyway, that's fine. You're gonna, only, you're gonna use one ounce or half an ounce per cocktail. And again, these will be available, available to you online, the recipes. You can pour it in, fill the top three quarters full of ice, and we're gonna shake our cocktail. Such a beautiful sound. I say it every time. It really is. I know. It's like Santa yeah. coming. <laughs> He's on the rooftop. No, it's just Gina. It's just Gina. <laughs> we're going to give it a little love tap to get it off, and then we're going to take our strainer, and we're going to put them in ball jars today. A little bit different than I, our norm. And then we're just going to do something super fun, and I don't normally do, like, the super kitschy, but I felt, like, super kitschy today. <laughs> I wanted it to be a summery cocktail, so I'm gonna add a little bit more ice, I think, and then we'll make this, um, we'll just make it cuter. I love it. How cute is that, huh? That is so cute. You know, this is like, this is like giving me beach vibes. <laughs> I'm like, we need to be on a beach. Well, you're gonna spend a lot of time running around, right? So you're gonna need something. I love it. I love it. I didn't even it? know that they had an orange, a zesty orange flavor. It's new. There you go. It's new. Yep. Gina, that okay. was amazing. Did I you think mean, you were going to get whiskey today? No, I did not think I'd be drinking whiskey today, but I'm so happy that I am because this is delicious. And yes. whiskey has, uh, it's a big staple in Indian culture. And my family is, uh, we, we love whiskey. So I am loving this. Also, it is getting me ready for spring and summer. Yes. Which is very important because that's when the primary is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I love to do full circle right back into when's yeah. the primary. That's <laughs> why so we started in a mason jar. So you Good put job. a little a little a little screw cap on it and like have it for later. After so when you're I done. go so when I go to uh, vote, I can take my little mason jar and I'll be like, oh yeah, it's tea. You should be so here's a fun fact, right? So candidates for presidency, you know, we're talking back in the day, right? So they would, um, there was like, so Pennsylvania Avenue, which we know now, um, leading up into the Capitol was actually a canal, right? And it was just loaded with bars. There was saloons after saloon after saloon. And people would pick their candidates and stuff that they liked and the bars would give away free drinks to go vote. And then they would tell you to go vote again. They'd be like, oh yeah, two, go vote again. And there was no, there no way to, to track how many, how many times you voted? So they would just give you they would give you drinks and cocktails, and there are presidential cocktails for different candidates that came out from that. And like you know, we all know the term lobbyists and how it comes from, you know, the Willard Hotel and you know Lincoln and whatever. Well, there's a if you ever want to have some fun with the history of cocktails, and presidents, candidates, um, and some politics, and spend a little bit of time there at the Round Robin Bar because uh, Jim will like literally chew your ear off and give you some of the greatest drinks I've ever tried. Yep, yep. There's all kinds of uh, interesting uh, connection between uh, politician, politics, voting, and alcohol. Yes. And even not only does it, did it, was it used to, to Gina's point to get people to vote for you, it was also a way to keep people from voting. When, when during prohibition, the closing of bars, the, that kept the, because often that's where people went to go vote. 
I only know this because of um, John Grinspan from uh, from uh, the Smithsonian. When he came on, he he has all this amazing knowledge about spirits and politics. He's amazing. So I I don't remember what episode. Yeah, it is, but yeah, it's great. you would, you know you did all of your um, all of your work was done in a bar room. Yep. Yeah. So you would have done your campaigning there. You would have voted there. You would have you know met people. You know that's where everyone went. Met your mistress. <laughs> I was no, gonna say very male, male dominated. That's well, actually, actually, Washington D.C. A lot of bars were owned so by women, mm. so that's kind of an interesting thing. But I that is to, another episode. I have to say, um, when you were mentioning just like a splash of the fruit punch, I mean, it's just perfect because like it, it's like a splash, the hint, yeah. and it just oh, complements. You know, it balances that tartness. It, mm-hmm. it, no, you know what it is? It's familiar to you from being a kid. I'm telling you, <laughs> that's what it is. It, there's a familiarity to it. And if you use something that, like, I don't know, maybe you were raised on actual Kool-Aid or you used to drink what they call bug juice in camp or I don't I don't know what you were into, that summertime flavor for you, but that's what you should swap in for that, like, little hint. It's interesting you say that because, you know, you often make tea-based drinks, and I really like tea-based. I love those a lot. I drink, and it's funny you say that because my mother didn't allow us to drink sweet drinks. Mm-hmm. So it's always iced tea. Mm-hmm. And every time you make one, I always, I'm drawn to that. I'm drawn to more savory cocktails. Huh, who knew? Yeah, but now when it's 95 degrees outside, you'll slug this back. Gina knew. <laughs> she always knows. Gina knew. Can I just say, I feel, like, so... Um, like just happy that this you made this drink for me. <laughs> like I ha- this I haven't had this experience in, in so long because we've just been on the campaign. So it's really nice just to have someone make a drink. There you go. Of course. That's what we <laughs> so do. That's what you do. You join the campaign, Gina. It's just pure morale mood bo- booster. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, shaking cocktails yeah, for, my, for my next job. For my yeah. next job. <laughs> Key part of the campaign strategy. Hey. You got it. Strategy is key. That is a good strategy. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Just get all my bar friend owners in Northern Virginia to be like, all right, this is what we're doing. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people go to those bars. John Chapman. I think that's, you know, he's the night mayor for good reason, or was before he hit the kid. Anyway, um, so I asked you this when we were, did our pre interview, um, our our just little chatting. Um, If you wanted to leave our audience with one thing, what would that be? Your voice is your vote. I look in Virginia, we've got elections every year. It feels exhausting. I know with the political climate. You know, you're right. I'm sorry. I would say this. Living in Virginia, you talked about how this is what something I want to go back to. The fact that you you said that, you know, we are we're D plus 27, is that the right term? But we have a Republican governor now. I mean, we lost we lost that battle. Mm-hmm. You're, to your point, I just want to, we are a prime example of our voice does count. And when it's not heard, other things happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, look, I get it. Like, I'm frustrated. I'm tired. You know, I'm tired. I'm frustrated the political system. But I need you. I need you. If you're listening, you know, if you are tuning in and you live in this district or if you have a friend that lives here, go out and vote or let your friends know. Because the collective power of everyday people coming together, there is no corporate, there is nothing that can stop that. And that is what is so beautiful about this. And I'll, you know, I'll just say it, you know, this, uh, we have a campaign of race where you have someone who has been a, a staple of the Democratic Party for a very long time. 
You have me as kind of an outsider, someone who's coming in, someone who's uh, trying to bring her lived perspective, her fresh ideas and fresh eyes to the table. So this is the dichotomy that we're in. And the only way that I am going to be victorious in this race is if everyday people come out and vote. We are bringing folks who have never voted a primary, people who maybe voted once in the past four years in a primary. I need you. Go to our website, victoriaforcongress.com. Learn about our issues. Learn about what we fight for. And know that your voice through your vote can literally change the future of thousands of children, Of can change the the path of our elderly, of childcare, of reproductive rights. I mean, we can do this, and I know that we can do this when we come together. Yeah, yeah, it, it, you're right. It doesn't. It touches all lives. Whether you're talking about the, you even mentioned like student loans, our personal, our wages, which is our livelihood, which you know that's that's all things. It's all things. It's not. It's not. A, it's not a singular. Um, issue by any means um there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot on the table vote responsibly i say it all the time (laughs) let's make a 3v because you think it's victoria virasing and virginia in virginia there's a lot of ease virginia virginia is for victoria Oh, I love it. it. The four V's. There I you go. Yeah. And then she could do this. Like, although that's <laughs> no, bad don't for do Nixon, that. Don't do that. You know. <laughs> don't do that. We've been playing around with uh, with different hand like slogans, uh, but it's true. I mean, we've got a lot of alliterations in here for those who are listening who love <sighs> alliterations. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always Victoria, never Tory, right? So I actually grew up going by Vicky, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of people still uh, still call me that. Yeah, but for the ba- Vicky, there you go, yes. Vicky, there you go. We're all like, right. There's a lot of things, you can, but for the ballot, you're it. It has to, you know, your has to be your first name and last name. Oh yeah. So we want, you know, we wanted to make sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Victoria. I love it. So strong, Victoria. <laughs> So for people to be victorious in their cocktail making, tell them again one more time where they're going to go. You're going to go to designateddrinker.show for our tips, tricks, how-tos, where to find Victoria, and they can have their voice be their vote, which is kind of amazing. That's right. Yeah, a lot of bees on the table. It is, but now I still have one last question. Dun, 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 dun. And this is how we know if you've done your homework and you know about this show. (laughs) Um, Uh So in this day and age, everybody identifies themselves with some sort of spirited um, animal, and you might um, identify yourself. I keep thinking of the same. Um, <laughs> this be- I wanted to say a beetle because oh. no beetles are very sacred, right? They can be both very powerful yes. and and um, unassuming, and they're just there, and they're like uh, they're sacred in um, some in like Egyptian uh, culture, right? So I wanted you to be this, right? And you might identify with that and because because of that, right? If you could be one ingredient and identify yourself with that, for whether it's for beverage or for food, what would your ingredient be? And why does that say something about you? Chili flakes. Mm. Oh. I love spice. You know, I grew up, by, I mean, I'm biracial. Yeah. So a lot of people ask me, you know, what's that experience like? And I think in Latino culture and Indian culture, a lot of food, a lot of family, <laughs> a lot of spice. <laughs> and I grew up, you know, eating 
from, and then also being in this area, you know, yeah. we have so many cuisines from all over. And chili, I think that, you know, it's like that zesty, you know, I think doing this is like, I'm coming out there, right? You know, you take a bite and you're like, oof, I feel that chili <laughs> flake. Uh, it gives it that additional spice, uh, that flavor. I think it represents culture and community. And, you know, I, you know, that's, I think, that's how I would, if, that, if there's one ingredient, which by the way, can go in both cocktails and beverages and food. Of course. Yeah. So you can bring that. It has zesty. a lasting that. impression is I where I've gone. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's to you and cheers, to all cheers. of your efforts and let's win this. Thank you. Thank you so much. The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company that is dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers Bobby and Mike Carducci. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows. Your review helps our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.